Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Mark chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 14 to 23. Mark 7, 14 to 23. If you don't have a Bible, paperback Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. You'll find the passage on page 492. 492. Um, We had our first apologetics conference this weekend and um, thought that went really well. So I know some of you were able to come, um, but uh, it looks like we had attendance of around 125 or so, which I think was really encouraging. A lot of people from uh, outside the church. So uh, very grateful for the instruction we received from Jim Spiegel, Paul Copan. Thanks a lot to Madison, did a lot of planning for a lot of weeks beforehand, so grateful to her. Kyle Aldridge also got our food and refreshments ready, so thanks to both of them. Our hope, the hope, the intention is to do this annually, we'll see, but that's our hope, so you can tentatively mark the first weekend of November 2023, and um, we'll have hopefully another apologetics conference with a a different theme, Uh, so get that in your calendars right away. All right, Mark chapter 7. That's what we're looking at today as we continue through our study of the book of Mark. There's a guy named Robert Schaffron who, uh, back in 1980, attended his first day at a community college in New York State. First day on campus, and he walked onto the campus, and he noticed that lots of people were saying hello to him. They were saying how much they were glad to see him, how they had missed him. Girls were coming up and giving him kisses on the cheek. This is his first day on campus. He's walking around and just more and more people are coming and saying hello to him and greeting him. And, but one thing he's noticing is that uh, everybody's calling him Eddie. His name is Robert. And he comes to find out that he has a twin brother named Eddie. And uh, through a series of connections, um, <clears throat> he is able to, to meet Eddie because Eddie lived basically in the same area of the state of New York. And so they got together. And it's like, here's these long-lost twin brothers. They not only hadn't met each other before, but they didn't even know that the other existed. And so this was just a thrilling thing. I got into the local newspaper. And through the newspaper and through um, just, you know, word of mouth, a guy named David Kelman got word of this. And (laughs) he realized that these two guys were his brother. And so he went and looked up to them, and it turns out there are these identical triplets who never knew each other, didn't know each other existed. They all lived within like a hundred mile radius of each other in New York State, and they all got together and reunited about, you know, college age for all of them. And this became a big deal. All sorts of newspapers and magazines did articles on these three brothers. Phil Donahue had them on. Um, You know, they became semi-famous. They opened a restaurant. And um, it it was just a very exciting thing for them. But but they discovered something about this. Their mother did give them up for adoption. But what they discovered was that the adoption agency, who kind of oversaw the adoptions, was working in cahoots with uh, like a, a psychological group that was conducting a study. And so they were forcibly separated 
and put in different families with different circumstances so that a psychiatric study could be conducted on them regarding this question of nature versus nurture. That they wanted to find out, if we get these three identical triplets, how alike are they really going to be? As they grow up, how much is their nature going to affect who they turn out to be, and how much is their nurture going to turn out who they would be? Well, um, this is all detailed in a documentary called Three Identical Strangers, by the way. You can look it up. It's very interesting. But they became very outraged. You know, they were very kind of offended that they were kind of used as an experiment like this. But as the documentary goes on, you start to learn things. There were a lot about these three guys that were almost the same. I mean, they had similar tastes in so many different areas. They acted the same. I mean, they looked exactly the same. Um, But they also discovered that some differences emerged also as they got older, some preferences and personality differences, and there were some tragedies that eventually came out. But the whole, again, documentary is asking this question. It's a very important question, a question that's been asked down through the ages by philosophers, and that is, what does make us the people that we are? Is it nature or is it nurture? Is it something that's inside you that makes you what you are, or is it forces outside of you impinging upon you? Is that what makes you who you are? When you think of the decisions that you've made, the the sins you've committed, the mistakes you've made, the problems that you have created for yourself, how do you regard those things? Did those things happen because of the house you were brought in, brought up in? It, the, the decisions that you made, are those because of your parents and the way they treated you? Or is it because of uh, the side of town that you happen to live in? Is it because of the education that you received growing up? Or was it something inside of you that came up, that welled up from you, that led you to do the things that you did? Is it an outside-in thing, or is it an inside-out thing, to try to put it uh, as simply as possible? That's the question that documentary asked, and that's the question that Jesus deals with here in Mark chapter 7. Um, This passage is basically part two of the passage that we looked at last week. Remember, last week, the early part of Mark Seven, saw the Pharisees came along. They were very offended because they saw Jesus' disciples. They weren't washing their hands. And the Pharisees were concerned because the disciples were not following the tradition of the elders. And Jesus then entered into this kind of debate with the Pharisees. He admonished them because they were exalting the tradition of the elders to a status of authority that was even greater than the commandments of God. And so Jesus, not happy about that, and rebuked the Pharisees for that. And so what we're going to read right now just kind of picks up where that has left off. And Jesus' concern here is this question of what is it actually that makes a person, to use the language that Jesus uses, clean or unclean before God? What is it that makes us acceptable to God? Or what is it that makes us unacceptable to God? Is it it something in us or is it something outside of us? So that's what Jesus is going to talk to us about now. So let's stand, if you're able, and read from Mark 7, 14 to 23. And he, that is Jesus, called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, 
but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared, All foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Holy Spirit, come, we ask, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, give us ears to hear your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, you know, sometimes you do a sermon and you ask a question and you hope that there's some mystery, you know, about the answer. I think reading the text gives you that answer pretty clearly uh, to this question, is it something outside or inside? But um, there is some explanation that is warranted. And so let's take a look at how Jesus handles this question. Just two points this morning to this question of Jesus in the heart. Jesus in the heart. <clears throat> First thing we're going to see is that Jesus declares the outside clean. Or Jesus declares what is outside to be clean. So let's, let's take a look at this. Verse 14 is where the passage starts. And uh, we see Jesus calling the people to him. So again, his discussion with the Pharisees has just ended. He has just admonished them, telling them that they make void the Word of God by their tradition. They do many things like that. And then he turns from the Pharisees and he calls people to him. So he kind of gathers all the people together and he says, (coughs) he says there at the end of verse 14, hear me, all of you, and understand. So the way Jesus is saying this is he's kind of like maybe what a teacher does in a classroom. Pay attention. When the teacher gets to a very important point, you know, the teacher's been talking for a little while, but now this is going to be something that's going to be on the exam. And so listen, pay attention. And the teacher says that to really get people to look up. That seems to be what Jesus is doing here. He says, hear me, all of you, understand. In other words, he is about to say something that's very important. Not that the other things that Jesus says aren't important, but Jesus wants people to listen carefully. There's a commentator named William Barclay who says that this text that we have just read is the most revolutionary passage in the entire New Testament. So there's something really significant, something kind of radical going on here about what Jesus is going to do. So let's see what happens. So here's what Jesus says. He has their attention in verse 15. He says, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Now, what he's talking about, remember, the context from last week, the Pharisees were concerned because the disciples hadn't washed their hands as they were about to eat. So this is the, the, the context. It's, it's eating food. It's the question of unclean foods. If you eat unclean foods from the outside, bring them into yourself, is that going to make you unclean? So the food laws are um, detailed for us in Leviticus chapter 11. And uh, in Leviticus 11, there's just a whole list of different 
animals that you can't eat and a list of animals that you can eat for the Jews of that day. So, you know, you couldn't eat a camel, badger, certain kinds of birds, certain kinds of lizards. Now, that, that's probably not a problem for any of us to obey. Probably none of you have had a craving for camel meat lately. But among the list is the pig. <laughs> and boy, do we love pork. I do. Ham, bacon. Um, pigs were unclean for Jews. They were not to eat the pig. So you've heard the word kosher. Um, if you have a, a Jewish background or live in a Jewish neighborhood, you probably know what that means. But kosher just means you know, the foods that conform to these regulations. And these are binding on Jewish people. But what Jesus is saying here is that these these unclean foods coming into a person do not make you unclean. So he, he's getting to this point that it's that the problem is not outside in, but inside out. You know, just imagine a, if you had a, a car. I had a 73 Vega when I was in high school. Um, kind of an ugly car. It was bright green, had a black strap stripe down the middle of it, and just had this horrible engine. Every time I filled it up with gas, I had to also fill it up with oil because it just burned up oil like crazy. So, I mean, let's say I wanted to sell that car. I could, I could have given it a great paint job, and got rid of that ugly green color and the black stripe, and made it look really good, and put it on the market. But I'm quite sure that if somebody came to buy the car, they would say, okay, it looks good, but what's the engine like? And I just have to say, it's not very good. And that's kind of what Jesus is getting here. You know, we can paint the car and make it look good on the outside, but the real question is, what is the engine like? And the disciples, as they hear Jesus teach on this, don't understand. They can't get this. So if you look down at verse 17, when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Kind of odd that it's called a parable. It's not, it doesn't seem like a traditional parable, but they don't understand. And so in verse 18, Jesus is kind of exasperated by this. And are you also without understanding? You also don't get this? Do you not see? And then he goes on to repeat it that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him. And it, <laughs> he kind of gets a little earthy here, all right? And sometimes Jesus gets a little bit blunt, and so he just goes on and he describes. He says, when you eat food, um, it, it doesn't enter your heart. And of course, we know that certain foods can affect our heart, but you get the point. It doesn't enter your heart. The food goes down your gullet into your stomach and into your intestine and winds up in the toilet, is what Jesus is saying. It, it just goes right through you. It, it doesn't affect your heart in a, in a moral sense. And so he's making the point that unclean foods do not make you unclean before God, that they don't affect you morally before God. Jesus' point seems to be here a, a very important part about Christian morality, which is that morality is more about inward motivation than it is about outward actions. You know, very often we can kind of, as we said last week, go through the motions and do the things on the outside that look really good, but what's more important to God is what's going on in your heart. So Proverbs says this, 
Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You know, you look at yourself and you say, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I do the best I can. I've, I, I go here. I do that. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm a good person. But your heart has no regard for God. Your heart has no love for God. What God says is, what's more important is the motive of your heart. A bad motive, friends, can make a good deed bad. So, for instance, let's say, let's say there's a, a, a young man and he <clears throat> begins to date and court a, a young lady. And so the young man is really sweet. The young man goes and, and picks her up. The young man opens the door for her. The young man's got a bouquet of flowers. The, the guy takes her to a real fancy restaurant and he's really sweet to her and they get along really well and the relationship is, is building. And then the, the young girl begins to, to find out that um, what the guy is really after is to get to know her father, because her father is the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And this guy has wanted to work there his whole life. And he sees for him a very lucrative opportunity to get a position and to move up the professional ladder. And the girl begins to, to get it. Oh, all of this that you've been doing, the flowers, the door, the dinners, is so you could get to my dad. It's, this is for you. You're doing this for you. You aren't doing this for me. Can you imagine how offensive that would be, rightfully so, to a young lady? Well, that's what happens when we, on the outside, do these good things that are really designed only to enhance our own reputation and image, and yet we do them without any true affection or love for God. That's what Jesus is highlighting here. Now, you may have noticed the careful reader will notice that there's no verse 16 here. Did you pick up on that? Verse 15, there's nothing outside a person that going, by, going into him can defile him. Then verse 17, and when he had entered the house. Uh, the reason for this, just very briefly, verse 16 actually says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, but more recent manuscripts that have been discovered over the years do not have that verse in it. And so our newer translations just don't have verse 16. It is in the King James Version. I think it might be a New American Standard. Not here in our ESV. Nothing to be alarmed about. Um, just a passage that we think probably shouldn't have originally been there. So, moving on here. Because then Jesus, here, because Jesus is, is making this point that morality is more about what is inward than what is outward, we find at the end of verse 19 this really very startling, startling verse. Thus he declared, all food's clean. Now that's not just startling to us at all because we don't live under these same kind of, of food laws. But to a typical Jew, this, this would have been just completely radical. What are you talking about? All foods are clean? This would probably be, I think, a little bit like if a U.S. senator or representative stood in the in, before Congress and just said, I declare that we are no longer under the authority of the U.S. Constitution. I mean, your first thought would be, who are you to say that? But you would also say, what, what are you talking about? This has been a founding document, a policy for us for a couple of centuries. Well, the food laws have been binding on the Jews for a lot longer than that. 
And what Mark is telling us is that this was Jesus' intent, to declare all these food laws, again, that were in Leviticus chapter 11, to say that now foods are all clean. All foods are clean. There are no more unclean foods. You can eat whatever you want. Now, just to show you how hard that was for the disciples to really understand, if you go ahead to Acts chapter 10, you'll find here's Peter. Peter would have known what Jesus said here in Mark chapter 7, and it says Peter became hungry and he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, um, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being led down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. I mean, even though he knew what Jesus said back in Mark chapter 7, Peter is still like, no, 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 I'm not eating any unclean food. Jesus said they were un- that all foods were clean. I mean, just Peter is just so entrenched in, in these certain kind of regulations that he won't do anything different. So the voice of God comes to him and says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Peter, don't you remember, Jesus said, all foods are clean. So eat and enjoy. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we don't follow these kinds of food. I mean, there are ways to be careful, right? Sometimes we fast. We don't eat food for a brief period of time. There are certain foods we probably shouldn't eat because um, they are not healthy for us. But the point here has to do with make, what makes us clean and unclean, and Jesus is just doing away with his regulation. And so you might ask the question here, how in the world can Jesus get away with this? If the guy before Congress says, no more U.S. Constitution, you think, who are you? That's probably what the Jews thought about Jesus. Who are you to declare all foods clean? Who are you to overturn Leviticus chapter 11? They probably thought, only God can do that. And it's like, yeah, now you're starting to get the point. That's true. Only God can do that. And Jesus is God and has the right to do this. He has the right to exercise the divine authority to say that all foods are now clean. This is not Jesus just defiantly rejecting the Scriptures here. We have to understand. Here's what's going on. The whole cleanliness thing, cleanliness versus uncleanliness, was always meant to illustrate the fact that all of us are unclean before God and ourselves. That in ourselves, we are unclean. But now, the Messiah has come. Jesus has come. And He is the one who can make you clean. He's the one who can make me clean. So the food laws here are not so much being overturned as they have now been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. And Colossians 2. Colossians 2, I think, clearly says this. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, other ceremonial laws. These are a shadow of the things to come. They're pointing forward to who is to come. The substance, though, belongs to Christ. He is the one who has come. He fulfills all that these laws have been pointing to. And so that's why Jesus can say all foods are clean. Because the one who can make you truly clean is Him. So friends, what is it that makes you feel dirty before God? 
What is it that makes you feel unacceptable to Him? Maybe it's the way you speak to your wife or your husband. Maybe it's the way you treat your children. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe it's an abortion. Maybe it's watching pornography. Maybe it's a crime that you've committed. Maybe it's certain impure, unhealthy thoughts that run through your heart and your mind on a regular basis, certain inclination you have to do things that your hands just haven't gotten to yet, and you just feel dirty. Let me tell you, friends, confess your sins to God. Here's the promise of 1 John 1. If you confess your sins, He will forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He can make you clean. He can take away all of your uncleanness so that you are acceptable before Him. That doesn't come by outward observances to any policy or regulation or rule or even passage of Scripture. You don't make yourself clean through your obedience to the law. It's through accepting the one who alone can make you clean, fulfilled in Jesus. So that's why Jesus declares the outside, and by the outside there I mean food coming into the body, He declares the outside clean. Second point, however, the other side of the coin is that Jesus is going to declare the, un, the inside unclean. Jesus declares the inside unclean. So, um, you know, one thing we learn about Jesus as we go through the Gospels here is that He's not afraid to offend people. And so, He has likely just offended the Jews through this declaration of the foods being clean. So he has offended Jewish culture, but in these next verses, what he's going to do is offend American culture. He's going to say something that some of you today might, might find kind of offensive, because there is this kind of prevailing assumption in American, maybe even Western culture. And the, the assumption is that, that people are basically good that deep down, we all have a good heart. We say that about people sometimes, don't we? You know, someone does something bad, and we don't really like it, and we say, well, deep down, he's good. Or sometimes people will do something, um, something wrong, something they're ashamed of, and they'll say, well, that, that really wasn't the real me. You know, the real me is a good heart. The evil things that I do are like, yeah, aberrations, or kind of exceptions. But the real me is, is good, not according to Jesus. So here's what Jesus says um, in verse 20. He goes on, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out, what comes from the inside out. Then he describes it, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covenant, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within. They come from the heart. Those are what defile a person. We can kind of roughly divide this list into actions and attitudes. You see certain uh, actions there, um, theft, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. Uh, more attitudes would be coveting, sensuality, perhaps envy, pride, foolishness. Kind of roughly divided into those two things. So it's not just what we do. It's the things that we think. It's what's going on in our heart and so what Jesus is saying is that the origin of all of these evil things, friends, is, is not the, the evil things that come out of your heart, the, the, the awful things that you have done. 
I mean, it's really not because your parents didn't treat you well. It's, it's really not because you were bullied in school. It, it's really not because of the evils of capitalism. It's not because of the evils of socialism. It's not because of the far-right conservatives. I should use my right hand there, not my left. It's not because of the far-right conservatives. It's not because of the far-left liberals. That, that's not where evil originates, friends. Evil originates inside your heart and inside my heart. That's what Jesus says. That's where all of this flows from. So the way to sum this up is simply to say this. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Ultimately, it's not a matter of structures and influences and forces coming in upon us to make us do things that we just can't help. No, it's something inside of us. The Scriptures confirm this. Just, uh, Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the great Russian dissident, said this, the line between good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. Now, this is not to say that we're all a bunch of just savage animals just on the edge of doing the most, uh, the worst imaginable thing that the Scriptures do say. We're, we're created in God's image, right? Psalm 8 says we're crowned with glory and honor. Psalm 139 says that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Those truths are not canceled out or reversed by what Jesus is saying here, we still retain this dignity. We still represent and radiate the image of God. But at the same time, there is this corruption from within us that Jesus is, is pointing out. So this is not to say that we're as bad as we could be or that we're all a bunch of criminals, nor is this to say that outside influences have no impact at all on us. That's, I don't think, what Jesus is saying. If you did have a rough upbringing, if you were bullied, if you did live in poverty, yeah, that's going to affect you. That's going to influence you. There's no question about that. But the ultimate problem or the ultimate way to respond to this is not to complain about what has happened outside of me, but to take responsibility for what is going on inside of us. So, for instance, maybe you've seen lately here in Indiana, we've had what are called red flag warnings. And I didn't even know that this was a thing until this just came out here this summer. But a red flag warning means that conditions are favorable because of high temperatures, low humidity, and a lot of wind. Conditions are favorable for fire danger. Conditions are favorable. What Jesus is saying here is that with a human heart, conditions are favorable for danger from you. All someone has to do is light the fuse. You know, if the fuse isn't lit, ah, you know, you look pretty good. Stick a dynamite, put that on your shelf. As long as nobody lights that thing, it looks pretty good. But when it's lit, it does a lot of damage. And that's the way the human heart is. Yeah, we're fine outwardly. Things going well. Things going pretty well. Life is pretty under control. You know, yeah, you're a decent outwardly citizen. You're a kind, nice person. 
But what happens when someone lights your fuse? That's when you see all this junk inside of our hearts come out. I mean, this is why we have to be careful. So don't hear me saying that outside influences have no impact. You do have to be careful about who you hang around with and the places that you go and the entertainment that you watch. You do have to be careful about what you allow to come in you. You have to be careful about that because those things can light the fuse. It's not because they're necessarily bad in themselves. They can light the fuse inside your heart. So a good example of this is a, a Twilight Zone episode that... Uh, I've seen. It's one of my favorite episodes. It's called The Shelter. And uh, in in this episode, there are these people. It begins, they're having a birthday party, and these people are, they're very sophisticated, very educated, and um, they're having a good time together. They're very polite. They're very friendly. They're laughing and having dinner together. And then this alert comes on the radio. And the alert says, Um, We see that there are some objects um, headed toward the United States, and they should be arriving pretty soon, and this could be a nuclear attack. And so the people in the room started getting up, and they started thinking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're about to be bombed. We're about to uh, have nuclear bombs dropped on us. Well, the host of the party happens to have a fallout shelter, and they've been talking about that actually at this party. And um, the guests start to remember, oh, yeah, you got that fallout shelter. Hey, we want to go in your fallout shelter because none of the others have a shelter. And the host of the party says, well, I only have a certain amount of room. We only have a certain amount of, of uh, supplies. Uh, sorry, I cannot let you in. And from that, panic ensues. And these guests are furious, and they cannot believe why he won't let them into their into his fallout shelter, and they start screaming at each other, and they start insulting each other, and they start physically fighting with each other. And when the host gets his family and goes down in the shelter, they get this big battering ram and kind of take it, and they break down the door of the shelter to force their way into it, rendering the shelter virtually useless. And then another alert comes on the radio. Oh, those objects in the sky were just satellites. Uh, sorry, we were wrong, false alarm, everything's fine. (laughs) And now, all of a sudden, the people resort back to their nice, friendly behavior, and they start apologizing. Oh, you know I didn't really mean that. Um, Hey, I can reimburse you for the damages, etc. And and the host is just livid, and the host says, "I I think we just found out what we're like when we're normal. I think we just found out the kind of people we are underneath the skin. And what he meant by that is in the heart. We just found out what we're really like in our hearts. And that's when we find that out, right? When we're under pressure, when things are caving in, when there seems to be a crisis that's unresolvable, the fuse is lit. So what Jesus is trying to teach us here is not just the condition of the human heart, not just the fact that we're unclean on the inside, but he's trying to get us to see also that if we have any hope that things can truly improve in our world, if we are to have any hope that marriages can be repaired and relationships can be restored and wars might cease and children can be well cared for and justice can be upheld, 
if we have any hope for any change in this world, it begins with a radical change of the human heart, which only comes by the proclamation of the gospel and a powerful work of the Holy Spirit. That's the hope of the human race. And that's the hope that we've been given as God's people to proclaim that gospel, to take it and tell people about what Jesus has done and to bring them into church and to make disciples of all nations. That's, that's the hope. It's not to say we shouldn't be involved in other ways. It's not to say we shouldn't do what we can politically and in our neighborhoods. But apart from a radical change of the human heart, things will continue as they have been and will even get worse. That's why our calling as Christians is just so essential. Friends, to become a Christian, here's the blessing of being a Christian. Not only does the Scriptures declare that when you receive Jesus, your sins are forgiven and your shame is removed and you're made clean before Him. Not only do you receive eternal life, the promise of going to heaven and living with God and all of God's people for eternity, but the promise is also that God will give you a new heart. He will change your heart. He will make you different. And the prophet Ezekiel has spoken this as he looks forward under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the time of the gospel and Jesus' ministry and the giving of the Holy Spirit. God says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What kind of heart do you have? Has God given you a new heart? I mean, notice, I'm not asking, what have you done for God? What I'm asking is, what has God done in you? Do you have a new heart? One of my dear friends named Greg Pilcher, um, <clears throat> he's had a heart problem all his life. He had heart surgery at 10 years old several years ago. Some things went wrong, and he had to have open-heart surgery. And I remember him talking to me about it, and, you know, he was, he was concerned. I mean, he was worried. I mean, he was aware of the possibility. He might not come out of that alive. And I remember talking to him, and he said, you know, I'm really thankful for my, for my old heart, you know, that I got when I was 10 years old, but I'm more thankful for my new heart as a born-again Christian. He could say that. I'm thankful for my new heart. And that gave him the confidence to face that surgery. And he came out fine and is still serving the Lord today. How do you get a new heart, friends? I just say, it's pretty simple. Just ask God to give it to you. Just ask Him. Just say, Lord, I confess my sins. I acknowledge them. Please give me a new heart. And He will. And you will be born again and the kingdom of God will be yours. Lord in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have provided a solution to our most fundamental problem, Lord, our sick human heart. Lord, thank you for giving us new hearts, and Lord, I pray that you would continue to increase in our hearts a loving devotion to you, a loving devotion to you that would lead us to proclaim your gospel to others, that your spirit would do a mighty work in our land to revive us Give us all new hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.